Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. We're going to go over a portion of scripture that I've been kind of saving uh, just to, so we can focus on it and as we can open this portion up and study God's word tonight and let's go ahead and ask his blessings on his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the day. We thank you for your blessings of eternal life. Thank you for the peace and the comfort you give us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, may we just grow and, and be nourished by it tonight. Father, where we may leave this place being instructed in righteousness. Father, where we can bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Hebrews chapter 6, now if you remember, we're in an intermission. The writer of Hebrews had talked, started talking about Melchizedek in chapter 5, and he's going to resume talking about Melchizedek in chapter 7. But he's, he's in an intermission, and he is bringing up the topic of spiritual maturity. Now, if you remember, he, this was written to the Hebrews of that day, but it's written for us. I mean, the Word of God has endured. God has preserved His Word. We read it today. So even though we read it with how the author, we know that the Lord is the author of Hebrews, and when he wrote it, he wrote it to the Hebrews who were suffering. Now, if you remember the two ways they were suffering, and this hopefully is an easy way to remember it, pressure and persecution. Pressure and persecution. So any Christian that is going through pressure, whether it's family pressure, whether it's society pressure of being a Christian, like those in Nigeria who are under the pressure of being hunted uh, by the, the, the majority population, um, it will work a fear or it'll work just a constant uh, battle in that person's life of professing Christian or professing Christ in their life. Also persecution. So he's writing to those who are under pressure and under persecution, and he's wanting them to grow. He's wanting them to spiritually mature, to move on from the first things of Christ, the, the principles of Christ, because they're going to need the word of God. They're going to need to be established in the word of God in order to endure these trials and in order to, to not get discouraged or not have despair or have the courage to go through. Um, they're going to need to start applying these principles more in their life. Uh, this is spiritual warfare and you need the word of God. That's your food as any soldier would have. That, that's your supply as uh, a saint of the Lord as you battle spiritual battles, you must have the word in your life and must be applied. It's not just about knowing the word, it's applying the word in the simple things of faith. Now, in verse 1 through 3, we talked about that last week. But in verse 4 of chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, we'll go ahead and start here. But I, I want to make this statement. Those who believe you can lose your salvation do not understand the scriptures. That is a statement you can take 
and it is very true. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, you're not grounded and settled in the word of God, understanding the power of God, understanding that the gospel is God-centric, not man-centric. The gospel is about the power and the work of God, the accomplishment of God, and redeeming us from the curse of our own mistakes, our own sins against him. Um, so it is a remarkable thing. And you've got to start there. And that's, I mean, not just have that idea going in, but if you read the Bible, you're going to get that. You're going to see that. <laughs> you're going to see that it's God's gospel. So the verses we're going to look at, a lot of people have misinterpreted and misapplied, and you've got a lot of places that teach you can lose your salvation. And we'll talk more a little bit about that uh, as far as apostasy. And those are the two beliefs, and they could not be more opposed to each other. They are mutually exclusive. There's not, they don't share one thing with the other. You have apostasy and you have security. You have apostasy and per, uh, perseverance. Apostasy are people who believe that someone who, was, who has been saved, they were justified by faith, they were redeemed, they had the Holy Spirit, they be believe that apostasy, that, that same person can sin and lose their salvation and lose all of those things into where he is utterly destroyed. Now, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches about perseverance. Perseverance is the belief that it's God's salvation. And anyone who has tasted of the heavenly gift, which we're going to read, who has been justified by faith, who has been elected unto salvation, who's been effectually called by God and given the Holy Spirit, they will persevere. What it does not teach, and um, I've actually... This Sunday, morning for Sunday school, we're going to be talking about eternal security. That's another biblical principle we're going to be talking about. But I'm going to be talking about it a lot tonight, too. So uh, what eternal security does not mean, it does not mean that every church member is saved. So there is the confusion, right? It does not, eternal security does not teach that everyone who professes to be saved is saved. So that is where it comes in, is people will not use the scriptures to base their beliefs on. They'll, they'll use rationale or observation. They, they say, oh, well, this person is a professing Christian, and look at their life now. They've completely fallen away. They've, they've, fallen, they've denounced Christ. They became atheists. I mean, this person said they were saved and baptized and were a member of the church, and now they're atheists. They've obviously fallen away. And they've all, there's obviously an apostate, and that's what that means, fallen away. But we know from the word of God that a person that is genuinely saved will not do that. They will not have that behavior. And so from the scriptures, you can also know that. <laughs> You don't have to just say that they, uh, that they fell away from grace and then base all of that belief on just your observation. Another thing the scriptures does not teach is eternal security does not mean all those who are in religion, working in religion, working furiously, are saved. 
We know that, that Jesus says there will be many that come to him at the end of the days. And uh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not do all these marvelous works? Did we not turn our lives? Did, did we not vow our vows and, and do all of these things and just made our lives about religion? And he'll say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. So eternal security does not teach that, that all those in religion will be saved, are saved. Now, when we read, let's go ahead and read chapter 6, verse 4. We'll start uh, verse 4 through 6, and then we'll take those verses one at a time. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now, that's a loaded sentence. That's all one sentence in three verses there. And so we're going to dissect this. And I believe it's important to slow down in these three verses, because just like what I had said, there's so many people who are intimidated by these verses, and they shouldn't be. If, if you're born again, you shouldn't need to be intimidated by this, these verses, because these verses that people will falsely say teach apostasy, they're actually teaching the opposite. They're teaching eternal security. Uh, and, I, and I'll go into more detail about that. What we need to be careful with, especially if, if you're teaching or, or you're trying to absorb this information, is you never want to give false hope to people who have false professions. You never want to give false hope to people who have false professions. So when I talk about eternal security, there, I, I do, my intention is not to give people false hopes. I don't want to explain away the warnings of the word of God. The warnings are real. For those who are false professing, you should take these warnings to heart. And it should cause you to doubt. Now, at the same time, I don't want believers to go into doubt. Those who truly believe, because what happens is, believers who doubt their salvation, they've taken their eyes off of the object of our salvation. They're looking at their own works. They're looking at how worthless we are. And we are. We're sinners. I mean, that's who God came to save, us sinners. And that's who we continue to be. Uh, you know, we needed Christ. When, when we first believed in Jesus Christ, we needed Christ to save us because of our sin. We continue to look to him to forgive us of our sins. We know that he has once for all paid for our sins. But... That doesn't mean that we're reaching a sinless state. We remain sinners until the redemption of our body, until we remove these bodies. But when we look at these verses, uh, we don't want to give false hope to false professors or cause true believers to doubt. Instead, true believers, like I said last week, if you remember my coach story, it's cheering us on. It's given us assurance. And here, it, it's, it's sometimes difficult with Hebrews. It's not like Acts. Acts, we can start a new topic. They're at a new destination, a new place, and we can start fresh. 
With Hebrews, it's a continued thought throughout. There's connection points, and that's why I'm always having to sometimes go back into prior verses and hit connection points with you. You can see the thread that's going through. Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 1 through 9, it is stating, we persevere. And in verses 10 through 20, this is why we persevere, because the basis of our salvation is in God. Verses 1 through 10, we do persevere as God's people. Verses 10 through 20 is why we persevere as God's people. But we're not going to have time to get to verse 10 through 20. Uh, so next week probably be the same. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, what he's talking about. Now, another rule when we approach scriptures is to interpret obscurity with the obvious. Now, if these verses are a little obscure to you, like I don't have a clear understanding of this, interpret it by the obvious. That means is my understanding of this violating truth anywhere else in the Bible? Because if it is, then you may not have the correct understanding or you don't have the correct understanding. If your understanding of verses four through six says, well, that says I can lose my salvation. But step back and say, well, what's the, that's a little obscure. I had to kind of drill that, mine that out. But where is it obvious? What's the obvious teaching everywhere else in the word of God is I cannot. It's impossible to lose my salvation. So that is the way that you always interpret that. Eternal security is undeniable. Jesus says, my sheep will never perish. I will lose none. That's an obvious, obvious teaching in the word of God. And so when we look at verses four through six, we have to use that obvious teaching to help us understand. Um, and on, honestly, as we're looking at this, um, context is also important. But in verses four through six, we don't even need the context to know this isn't talking about losing your salvation. Okay, let's start. Verse four. Because for it is impossible. Now, there's two ways to interpret this, and one way to interpret it wrong. Two ways, I believe he is making a hypothetical statement. It is impossible. If you were someone, here's the argument. Let's suppose that you do not go on this spiritual maturity, which has been the context, right? That's been his, his, his fuel. If you do not go on to spiritual maturity like he's wanting us to, does that mean that you will go back into condemnation? Or that you will lose your salvation? It's impossible. If you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to get it back again. That's the statement right there. If you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to get it back again. Because Jesus would have to be re-crucified. And that he, and he'd have to go through the whole thing again. And what would that do? That would bring Jesus to an open disgrace because what would that say about Jesus's first work? It was insufficient. If you are making Jesus die again on the cross, what you are saying is that the first time he did it was insufficient. And that's what the end of uh, verse six is. 
if they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. So here's another reason I think it's, it's hypothetical. He's talking about somebody, if they were saved, he says, verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. That once means once for all. It's the same word used. And it's past tense. So he is talking about a saved person. Enlightened means illumine. They had illumination. Um, it's photozo in the Greek. So you, and it says, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. That's the grace of God and all of the salvation that comes with the grace of God, the regeneration, the Holy Spirit, his effectual call, the repentance, the godly sorrow, the faith, the assurance, all of the things in your life right now as a saved person. And it says, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. So notice also these three verses. Um, well, okay, let's go back to verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God. Now that word tasted, he uses a couple times. It means experienced. That good word is the gospel. It's not talking in reference to Jesus' title, the word. It means the gospel. If you have tasted, experienced the gospel of God and the powers of the world to come. What is that? Have you experienced the powers of the world to come as a safe person? I hope you have. I hope you have experienced in your heart the peace that passeth all understanding and the hope of glory, which we have. All the future that we have in the Lord is secured. We know that our bodies are going to raise, the trump's going to sound, he's going to return, and he's going to call us home, that where he is, there we will be also, and forever will be with the Lord. So I have experienced that. And I know as you as children of God, you have experienced the powers of God that is to come. Verse 6, if they shall fall away. This hypothetical person who has been genuinely saved, experienced everything they, they should have experienced, if they shall fall away, if, if they lose their salvation, this is what would have to happen. To they would have to renew them again unto repentance. They would, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Doesn't it appear to you that he's shutting the door on that right there? That it's impossible? And that was the first three words he said in verse 4. It is impossible. Now, here's another way that clues us in. Now, the, the other interpretation, and there's good men, uh, they believe this is someone who has a false profession in Jesus Christ, which uh, it could be, but I, I don't see that there because if a person is enlightened in verse 4, I don't see how that's false. I don't see how you can taste the heavenly gift and be a false professor. Uh, I don't see how you can uh, be, mar be made partakers, which we know that monoko is that word of partaking of something that is not by design ours, we partake of the Holy Ghost and have taken. So I don't believe this is, this can be talking about a lost person profess has a false profession. I believe he's speaking hypothetically. Secondly, I believe it's also hypothetically because notice that he goes into using the third person plural pronouns. 
So for those. Now, before that, he's been saying us, we, me, you. He's been using first and second person, uh, plural, pronouns. But all of a sudden, verse 4, he starts saying they, those, them. So he's not lumping the believers in with this group that he's talking about. Okay, I believe he's talking about a make-believe situation that a believer uh, could not, it's impossible for a believer to lose their salvation because it's impossible to get it back again. That's a big thing. Not only is it impossible for God to fail, now that's a big reason, we obviously know that one, because God, and it'll go on to talk about in verse 10 through 20, the basis of our eternal security is in the immutability of God, and he's the, our anchor, he's the object of our faith. It'll, it'll, it'll go in and say, you know, look at God, look how strong he is. But it's also impossible because if you lose your salvation, you cannot get it back again. And that's what he's saying, because you'd have to re-crucify Christ, and that's impossible. So, I mean... All these reasons. Now, in verses 7 through 8, I do believe he's going on and he is talking about evidence. Um, well, before I get into that, let me finish that thought with the third person plural. So verse 4, look at, he says, For it impossible for those, third person plural, those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the word, world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And then verse 7 through 8, we're, we're getting ready to talk about. But verse 9, he, he brings us out of the hypothetical. Because look, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. You notice how he went right back into making it personal? The reader, he's talking to the reader again. He's talking to us again. Uh, in even uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. So you see the big disparity there between verse 4 and 6. It just makes it pop out that he is definitely talking about someone if they were saved, and if they fell away, they could not renew their salvation because they would crucify Christ and that would disgrace uh, Christ and re-crucifying recru him. So what does he say in verse 7 through 8? He comes in with sharp evidence in your life. All right, so here's where we do not give false hope to the false professors. And if you're a true believer, we need to keep our eyes upon Jesus uh, because we will fail. If you start focusing too much on yourself, you're going to get discouraged. Uh, we will fail. We're sinners. Verse 7, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them, by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So that's interesting that he puts those two evidences there. The verse 7 is an evidence of someone who has not been saved. How? Because the evidence in your life. There's 
no fruit of salvation in your life. Verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, there is fruit in your life. I got those switched. Verse 7 is talking about someone who does bring forth fruit that are meat, uh, dressed, received blessings from God. Verse 8, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burnt. What's the difference between verse 7 and verse 8? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will produce fruits in your life. Uh, it takes us back to the, the parable of the sower. Uh, those who the seed was sown on stony ground, they shot up, didn't they? And they were happy. They had joy, but they had no root. They had no root. And so pretty soon the sun came scorched or trials came. And remember our context, pressure, persecution. That sun came in scorching those who had this profession of faith. Uh, Isn't it amazing how trials in our life are indicators of your faith in God. Uh, when life becomes real, do we, can we hold on to him? Can we hold on to our faith? Can we depend on our faith? And, and it's depending upon him. And that's the thing is it's not the strength of our faith which prevails. It's Christ which prevails. And he's the object that we, we just, is that, is that there? When trials come, when pressures come, if persecution comes, or depression, or uh, finances, or uh, just issues in your life that come, uh, do we flee to God for refuge? Do you have fruits? And that's what it mainly talks about. Uh, People confused uh, with false professors who will fall away. And that is the, the big thing there in verse 7. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 8. Those who have bears thorns and briars, they've never had salvation. They've never been saved. That's in this context. That's what he's talking about. So you, we need to look at this as evidence. There's no root evidence. Either there's root evidence, either there's good ground, good heart evidence, or there's no root evidence. Okay. So verse 9, but beloved, again, he's bringing us back in. He's out of the hypothetical now. But beloved, agapitos, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Now, the beautiful part of this verse is there's two things that he says here in verse 9. He says, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. There's two different things there that he says. He used the word things twice. So, these better things, if you stop and you focus on it and you think about it, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about perseverance. Those who have a true profession of faith will have those fruits, right? And pressure and persecution, they're going to have fruits. They're going to have good ground. They're going to bring forth fruit. 
those who have a false profession are not. They're not going to have those things. They're going to be dried. But he says, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Perseverance will prevail. Understand that. God has preserved those whom he has saved. And we will persevere. The Bible talks that we will persevere. And it says uh, many times, Paul even says, that unless you have believed in vain, we are saved by the gospel. Unless you've believed in vain, we are saved. And then also, in, in, in even in Hebrews, if we hold fast the confession and our confidence, if it's from the beginning, we will prevail. We will persevere because we are preserved. Those are the better things. He's talking about we are persuaded that you will get that the Lord will carry you through your pressure and persecution, your trials of life. We're persuaded that God's going to move you through those things because you are persevering. You're, the, God will see to it that you do. You will persevere through those things. And then he says, and, in verse 9, that's our second, and things that accompany salvation. The only thing that you're going to, the only reason you're able to get through those things, those better things than the false professors, but the true professors have the better, the only reason you're going to be able to get through those are the things that accompany salvation, the gifts that God has given you to do it. He's given you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who bears us witness that we are children of God, the Holy Spirit who sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God, the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and illuminates us and feeds us with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit which brings us peace and comfort in the worst times of your life. And it brings you uh, to where you know that Christ is the victory. Faith is the victory. Those things which accompany salvation, which God has given you, you will persevere through those things. Because in verse 10, he talks about this. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, diligence in faith produces a labor of love. Diligence in your faith will produce a labor of love. And that is what God is faithful. God is faithful. You know, as pressures and persecution or trials come, it's so easy to turn our eyes inward. But if we know that God's on his throne and he's in control and there's nothing that can happen to me or that does happen to me that hasn't first passed through his hand and we know that, we, that whatever happens to us is for our good and his glory, what are you doing? You're spiritually maturing. You're maturing. And so as you mature, you're putting your confidence in, the, in God with the lot that you've been given. You're putting confidence in God with the lot that you've been giving. You're not looking down. You're looking up. And when you can look up, you can work love. You can labor in love towards the saints. That's a big maturity. I mean, uh, verse 10, that's what he says. What, is the, what do we do? We minister to the saints. 
That's what we are to do. That's our labor of love. I mean, it's wonderful that we can have that peace that passeth all understanding. It's wonderful we have that comfort. It's wonderful all the things which God gives us, but God's equipping us to help each other through those things. And honestly, it not only helps other people, but it brings glory to God because somebody sees you doing that, they're going to say, that person believes in a big God. To be going through what they're going through and be helping me, that person believes in a big God. It brings glory to God. And so that's what we see here in verse 10. That that labor of love, God is not unfaithful to see it. He sees it. He's not going to forget it. In verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope and to the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's a major growth here of spiritual maturity in these verses. Verse 10, we talked about the labor of love. Verse 11, this laboring of love is a diligence. We have a diligence towards our love to the Lord, a diligence towards the full assurance of hope and to the end, which is what I was talking about. We have an anchor in verse 12 that we, so we're not slothful. And that same, that's the same word there that he used of being dull of hearing. It just means lazy. We're not slothful in the ministry. We're not slothful in the ministering to the saints, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He goes into a big uh, exposition of that in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, the uh, seeing we're compassed by so great a cloud of witness. Um, we may turn over there in a minute, but I want us to see the characteristics of spiritual maturity is love in verse 10. Full assurance in verse 11. In verse 12, humility. It takes humility to follow. It takes humility to learn. It takes, it, it just, it's humility in the faith. Now, this encouragement in verses 13 through 20, which we will look at next week, this is the basis of our spiritual security. This is the basis of our eternal security. But if you would turn with me over just a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 11. So we're going to look at this. The examples that we are to follow... Look at uh, chapter 11, verse 32. So we know he had just went over all the people who had demonstrated faith, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 32, and what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah? of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, 
stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. The fact of the matter is, is it'd be a good thing for Joel Osteen to read these verses. Salvation is not about our best life now. These people were looking for a better country, better promises. And they have a good report of faith. They stood strong, uh, they stood strong and steadfast in the Lord. And the best is yet to come. Today, we, we are here as pilgrims. This isn't our home. This, you know, I've, every day it just seems like the Lord is loosening the anchor just a little bit more of this earth. It just, um, you, you live long enough, the Lord's going to keep loosening that anchor, whether it's pain, whether it's sorrow or grief or, or whatever. You just start wanting to go home even more to see the Lord. But these, these are the, the examples we are to follow. So look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us rain, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as this writer is writing to the Hebrews, and we know that it is also for us, they were going through persecution, they were going through pressures of life, they were going through all of these things. Everything in the world was a temptation Everything in the world was being a temptation to them to renounce Jesus Christ and just depart the faith. And that's what he's talking about. Is if you really were once enlightened, that you will persevere. Now, what that doesn't mean is that you can't backslide. Perseverance of the saints does not mean that you go on to be sinless. Like I said, God had to save sinners. God had to save me as a sinner. And one day he's going to save me physically. So this race that is before us, let us look forward. Let us look into Christ as the example that is before us. Let's put our expectation that in the will of God, not in relief not in what we think our prayer should be answered as. But what is the will of God? The will of God will endure. And as soon as we're happy in the will of God, 
That's the best place to be. You know, I found that out. A lot of people will put, I mean, their ambitions ahead of the will of God. And then you start thinking more than you ought to think of yourself. And then, you know, that's what um, I was called to preach. I had to put my lack of ambition aside, surrender the call to preach and say, Lord, I'll, you use me. And uh, I, I wasn't happy fighting the, the call. And then, you know, as, as I came here and to be the pastor and everything in my flesh, everything in my life, all my familiarity, everything was at that other church. And I was like, Lord, there's no way you want me to, to come be a pastor here. I'll just keep plugging away and doing what I want to do and or doing what I want to do, not what he wants to do. And then I got miserable. And then when I surrendered to the will of God, then I became joyful. There's no better place to be than in the will of God. Amen. There really is. Because that is what will endure, and that it's his will. And so, would it be my will to be persecuted for professing Jesus Christ? No. But if it's God's will, that's the will I surrender to. It's God's will. And if there's some way the Lord be glorified, oh, we'll just praise him. It, we're here such a short time. Wouldn't it be wonderful? We go in the glory. And, I mean, Paul Washer once said uh, what he wants for his kids to die, is to die as missionaries, to be martyred. Because the experience in glory will be so much sweeter for those who have been martyred for the Lord than anything you can imagine them living down here. Living a full life, having 18 great-great-great-grandchildren still... Not as sweet as the life we're going to have in glory. And that's the thing that puts us in perspective, doesn't it? What are we going to bring of glory? We can't bring anything with us. Naked I came in in the world. Naked I, you know, I'll leave. And you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take things with you. So what are you going to bring with you? I got to thinking about that. I was like... You know, the Lord's going to have a banquet. We're all going to be in glory. And having just gone through the family functions of people potlucking, people bringing dishes to the, the meal and everything, there's a lot of people who aren't going to have anything to bring. Just themselves. They're not going to have a work to their name. But I can guarantee if they're, if, I mean, they're going to glory, but they're not a happy Christian in their life. Unless that fruit is working in your life and you're bringing things to the Lord and you're working, you're just, you're just being faithful. You, you don't have to be the greatest there is. Just have faith in the greatest there is. And the Lord will use you. The Lord will use you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this study. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy your goodness to us, Lord. We ask, Father, that you just instruct us and teach us. We humbly yield. And, Father, just, we want to be used for you. We want to be your vessels that you use upon earth. And Father, one day you'll call us home. And, Father, we, wanna hear, we would just be so 
happy and joyful to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh, Father, may that be our desire as we leave this place. Lord, may we just mature, Father, spiritually. May we have that desire too. And may we search the scriptures. May we seek you for wisdom. Father, we know that you will bless. We come with a full heart asking for wisdom and full faith. Lord, what a blessing it is to, to be a member here that you've called us together, all of us to be here together, to worship you, serve you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your servants and your sweet saints that, you've, that I've had in my life, you've put in my life. And Father, may you just continue to, to lift all our hearts into love and helping each other. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.